Thanks for joining us for our Real Deals podcast. I'm Simon Thompson. Once two distinct capital markets, the lines between PE and VC are becoming ever more blurred. As PE firms increasingly invest at earlier stages and more VCs adopt PE-styled strategies and hold on to stakes in companies for longer. Joining us to discuss the broad implications of the market phenomenon is Matthew Evans-Young, Senior Investment Manager at Foresight, and Claire Cherry, a principal at True, both investors at firms routinely making investments in both PE and VC. Welcome, Claire and Matthew. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. So I'll start off with you, Matthew, and then I'll, I'll get you to answer as well, Claire. How have you seen this convergence between PE and VC kind of unfold in the last few years? Sure. I mean, I think we've seen it as a kind of combination of two factors. And one is really the amount of money going into venture and early stage investment and kind of fund sizes that come out of that, uh, which is really allowing VCs to follow their investments into later rounds to stay with the companies for longer. I think you know, that's shown by the amount of kind of mega rounds that are being done in Europe. I think kind of key one was another record, a record quarter for the for the area. And I think we'd expect that to continue. And that just means that they are really starting to bleed into what was typically in the UK, at least been kind of mid-market private equities domain. And I think on the mid-market side, you know, it's an incredibly competitive market. People have continued to raise larger and larger fund sizes, again, making them making them forced to do larger deals. And they're now having to dip down a little bit as some of those companies aren't necessarily exiting at that point. They're starting to be a bit more creative given the competitive tensions as to how they win deals and the kind of companies they can get access to. Interesting. Same question, Claire. How are you seeing this kind of convergence unfold from your spot in the market? I guess it's been evident in the market with sort of some of the later stage VC investors appearing more and more in traditionally private equity focused processes Um, and then equally vice versa as the sort of boundary lines are are becoming more blurred. I think to Matt's point certainly this has been driven by increasing capital coming into both ends of the market Um, and equally I think certainly from the private equity side from our perspective certainly funds used to be much more strict on some of the financial criteria probably that businesses had to hit whereas nowadays for a whole host of reasons I'm sure will cover off certainly they've become um, sort of much more open to earlier stage assets um, and investments there which again I think drives that convergence. Right and so but I mean, what's actually the benefits for a VC or PE to kind of blur these lines? Is it just a case of more opportunities? Does it open up more doors or is it, does it make them a more attractive uh, funding partner? Or what, what kind of is actually the, I guess, mechanism that's kind of encouraging this kind of breaking down of barriers, if you will? I think if you look at it from the VC end, there's an element here of, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, you didn't believe that UK or Europe could support an incredibly large tech business or have the really large exits that you're seeing. And I think obviously there's been another one recently with Depop. uh, And I think you are now seeing that these economies can build much bigger businesses. So the incentive to hold on for longer is there. I think in terms of them being able to do the PE element of the deal, I think you are having to see you know, you are having to give founders some kind of value realization if you're going to hold on for longer. And that does include an element of secondary. So the VCs are kind of aware of that. You know, it's kind of the trade-off for holding on to the deal longer. I think, you know, Gorilla's only been around for 18 months, two years now. I think the current round they're doing will see cash out for the founder. So that's definitely becoming more part of VCs thinking. Yeah, and I certainly echo what Matt said there in that 
obviously we're sort of a sector specialist vertically integrated fund and ultimately the learnings that you can port run both ways in terms of building access to talent access to capital access to tools and services and, and ultimately perhaps financial benchmarking really to scale businesses um, perhaps in a fashion that you wouldn't if you were operating sort of two siloed funds Similar and same on the same lines, Claire. Kind of want to ask this question to you. Obviously, you know there is kind of proof of showing holding onto assets longer in this market works quite well for VCs. Is part of this phenomenon a result of VCs perhaps moving further away from earlier stage, higher risk but higher return investments, and maybe kind of consolidating a bit more on investments that maybe aren't as high 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 success ratio, but also maybe have a little bit more likelihood of returning so i mean basically moving away from a kind of higher risk reward kind of opportunities i think to matt's earlier point around size of market i think my perception is that funds have become more comfortable with making larger bets earlier typically um and ultimately that more capital perhaps at an earlier stage than we've seen historically enables uh, a further ability to outcompete, perhaps in areas which are less defensible. You know, if you look at the whole software space, is far less defensible than prior iterations of investments that have, would have occupied sort of a more IP-heavy strategy in this area. And then I think it comes back again to sort of fund sizing, in that ultimately most of these venture investors are able to raise larger and larger funds, and ultimately that dictates and predicates the cash returns that they need to see to their investors and that ensures that they probably support them longer in their journey to deploy more capital in that. I think certainly in terms of the risk appetite, it still seems to be there, but it's just a skew towards trying to find those winners earlier. And that's been borne out, I guess, in the funding strategy there and support them for longer rather than necessarily having an ability to get into sort of I guess, more traditional venture deals, perhaps at a later stage. Fascinating. And Claire, I think we'll stay with you. Obviously, both of you are on this podcast because you have unique positions, are having kind of hands both in the PE and VC markets. Claire, could you kind of just articulate where you're coming from or where, where True is coming from in terms of being both in VC and PE? And then we can kind of talk about how that maybe gives you a specific kind of angle on this convergence. Of course. Um, for us, typically as we're investing in a very specific vertical, which is the consumer sector, we do like to create synergies and streamline as much of our investments, whether that be from the venture side or the private equity side as much as possible. So whether that be back office processes, recruitment, strategy, um, again, some of the tools that we're seeing appear frequently you know, for us, that's a key element, I guess, of creating synergies across both pools. Um, and equally, it's about assimilating those learnings across the portfolio. So taking learnings from smaller businesses, medium size or large, and ultimately creating, I guess, pockets of views and wisdom that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily see if you didn't have access to all three buckets. Um, and that drives both learnings from the venture businesses up to portfolio, um, up to our PE portfolio in terms of nimbleness, accelerating innovation, testing, not necessarily being afraid of failure, 
and vice versa in terms of allowing some of the VC-backed startups really to drive that operational rigor and sort of, um, I guess, strategic thought that some of the private equity businesses have been doing for a number of years. Certainly. Same question, uh, Matt. Um, kind of talk about Foresight's hand in both those markets and how it kind of maybe enhances perhaps both the offerings in some ways. Yeah, so I mean, we manage a number of kind of VCT and EIS funds really at that Series A stage, uh, and then a number of buyout funds, and they are they are distinct funds with distinct LP bases. I think what we're really interested in is is using our experience of working with companies at that stage in the market, and you know, it's from anywhere from kind of twenty to a hundred people. You know, we are a generalist, I guess, un unlike true, we invest across sectors. I think we see our benefit as coming in as a lot of the challenges these companies face are sector agnostic and we're never going to be the sector experts that's what we're backing management to be but we are helping in in more of that you know the scaffolding of the business be that kind of uh, financial reporting board composition compliance uh, etc and i think really what we want to do is be able to you know provide the deal that works for the management team at this point in the market and see our, our kind of sub 10 million pound size deals is slightly underserved in the uk uh, we're really just interested in investing in exciting companies where we believe we can make a good return and help the team we're less dogmatic about whether that has to be p and vc uh, right. sorry uh, p and vc and i think having those multiple funds means that we can offer kind of the full breadth of solutions to management teams and, and be quite pragmatic in in how we can shape deals and we see that as an advantage both in terms of the deals we can access and in terms of what we can offer offer to founders and Matt, just following on with something that Claire mentioned, is there a kind of point where you see Foresight's offerings in PE? Obviously, it is. you said that it's quite blurred even within your company, but the PE and VC offerings kind of enhancing one another. Um, for instance, Claire mentioned that you know, a lot of their VC investments are enhanced by, the op enhanced by the operational streamline kind of things that they implement that are kind of come from their VC, uh, PE kind of backing area. Is there kind of how much, how much do they help each other or is it is it a mute point? No, I mean I think typically, kind of or traditionally anyway, VCMP would maybe focused on slightly different things. You know, venture capital would historically be associated with scaling rapidly and doing everything at speed, whereas I think private equity potentially be more focused on operational efficiencies. You know, potential areas of financial engineering um, and kind of you know grooming those companies towards exit. I think by seeing both sides of the coin in terms of what we do every day in our team. You know, we work across all the funds as individuals. I think it allows us to bring both elements of that approach and, and take the best out from, from both when we're working with the portfolio. Fascinating. So Claire, I wanted to throw this one to you. Obviously, you know, in true, they are separate, separate departments or verticals. Could you kind of speak to where the PE and VC opportunities are, are better or where they don't hybridize and what the kind of differentiated points of each of them that remain and kind of are important, I guess? from what we've seen I guess there has been a convergence of both PE and VC probably in that kind of lower middle end of the market so you know that growth funding where probably on the cusp of profitability you are a pretty stable business probably still very high growth um, and that for us has been where you know there has been I guess yeah a real aligning of minds I think outside of that you know our venture funds invest much earlier so typically at uh sort of a seed through to series a stage where you know there isn't necessarily that financial rigor that certainly a lot of private equity funds would look for 
and certainly no ability to support debt or operating leverage or any of those dynamics again which have been traditionally seen at the upper end of private equity so for me it's sort of that convergence around the midpoint where again the lines are a bit more blurred and either end both from my perspective in terms of business size and funding size is probably still a relatively distinct bucket that, that occupies that space and part of that is down to transaction dynamics you know as matt touched on i guess a big part of this is where the founders are in their journey whether they want support on that which probably lends itself more towards the venture investment investing community or whether they think actually i've taken this business possibly as far as i choose to and therefore that probably supports more of a private equity shaped transaction so a few dynamics at play there both in terms of business size and, and transaction dynamics Obviously, a major point of overlap seems to be at the moment, correct me if I'm wrong, is the growth capital market, which seems to have been a gap in the market in, in the past, but we're seeing a lot of PEs and VC firms deploy more funding in there of recently. Could you kind of speak to why this market segment has become more prominent for both PE and VC strategies in recent years? Um, Matt, maybe I'll start with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it's a gap in the market is just the kind of the way the economics of the of the UK mid-market priority have worked just you know it's it, the successful funds have raised again and have raised larger fund sizes because they're able to and are still pursuing that strategy of kind of eight to ten investments in a fund and, and therefore investing in larger businesses and again leaving this gap that, that always seems to be there um, and I think really it's partly as well driven by the fact that there's so much capital in the market I think entrepreneurs can be more selective. I think they can hold on to the companies and stay in control longer. I think they are seeing that optionality of do they is there a is there a phase in between either growth at all costs venture capital, which is I'm generalizing obviously, but it can potentially be perceived as that. And then traditional productivity of sell the entire company, you know, use use leverage and then and then grow the business in a bit more of a circumspect manner. I think entrepreneurs are, are just questioning whether those are the only two options and I think firms that are able to provide a bit of that that middle pathway which is some value realization de-risking for the entrepreneurs but also a growth mindset uh, potentially not to the same extent of you know 100 200 300 percent but but still very much making your turn to growth is probably really attractive to the entrepreneur base and and them looking for those kind of deals obviously to try and differentiate funds are going to respond to that and I think that's what we're we're likely to see. So it's kind of almost involved, from your words at least, evolved from sort of demand for the t from the targets or the entrepreneurs who want optionality or want something more tailored to precisely what they're what they're where they're at with their business, and then funds that are smart enough to adapt their strategies or offerings tend to kind of could edge out their competition with that strategy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think in an incre in increasingly competitive investment landscape where it's record amounts of investment going in every quarter, if you're not able to provide that flexibility, you're at a disadvantage to the competition. Right. Fascinating. Um, same question, Claire. Um, obviously, this growth capital market has been a gap. There's a lot more going into it, um, and it's part of VCP strategies. How does it fit in? How do you how do you see it as the kind of convergence of PE and VC? And more generally, what does it kind of tell us about the state of the market? agree with you know virtually all of what Matt said there I think typically you know the the convergence really has been caused by that availability of capital by the entrepreneurs having 
more of a voice perhaps than they've had historically and ability to go to partners that truly align with their values. And certainly in terms of the returns, you know, realistically, both venture investors and private equity investors are chasing sort of target returns, both for their, their funds and also for their individual portfolio assets. And part of that dictates, you know, a niche in the market of which they need to capitalize on and, and deploy into. I mean, for us, and I think for Foresight as well, really it's left that tier below growth capital probably that is, again, sort of underserved as those traditional historic investors move up in the capital spectrum. Um, and that's certainly happened over the last sort of three or four years. And I wouldn't expect that to, to be any different as we look forward. So I think it's fantastic to see that the landscape, landscape is shifting and that other funds are coming in to fill that void um, in terms of what entrepreneurs are looking for. I think interesting. You've also got to take, oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, I think you've also got to take into account that you've got a, a pretty rapidly maturing angel ecosystem in the UK. And I think that's probably been around for, you know, been growing steadily for the last five, 10 years. You've now got a probably position in many companies where those angels will want to return at some point to a greater or lesser extent. And being able to come up with a solution where founders still are committed to the company and still committed to driving growth, but want to see some value for the early backers coming up with a solution that kind of ticks both of those boxes would be another reason why growth capital will be a, an emerging trend in the next few years. And also following up on growth capital again, uh, to what extent is sort of smart money or expertise guiding coming alongside that growth capital a factor and maybe a differentiator for firms trying to net these deals, I guess? I think certainly we've seen a desire in the market to move towards investors that can add tangible value. You know, there is no shortage of access to, to capital, certainly. So it's about how you differentiate yourself, whether you're a private investor, whether you're a fund, you know, all, all areas are having to really pull their stocks up and determine what that piece is um, and certainly really evaluate where they should sit in that capital structure and what a, you know, a deal looks like for them. Certainly for us as sector specialists, it's very important that we are backing true deals that really dictate businesses where we can add material value. And that will mean that, you know, we'll pass on a lot of opportunities that are a great fit for other funds, just because it's not necessarily the right strategic fit for us. Uh, and equally to, to build on Matt's point, you know, I'd say gone are the days where the majority of businesses are bootstrapped through to private equity investment. You know, that's sort of few and far between nowadays. And part of that is as this ecosystem matures and taking investment from an angel is perhaps going to drive the business much quicker than you'd be able to do on your own and likewise as you move through that venture life cycle so i think that's important and will certainly drive additional shaping of it going forward fascinating so another phenomenon here as well um it might be one for you matt um to what extent are you know pe firms using earlier stage investments to either court or grooming companies for larger investments, or at least to get exposure to early exposure to deal flow for just general investments. Obviously, you know, you know, if you're in the market, you're early stage market, you're meeting people, you're in networks, um, you kind of just putting yourself in a space where you maybe you meet an entrepreneur and then five years later, they want the investment that you kind of have on offer. To what extent is it useful for that or utilized by firms to kind of achieve that end? So I don't, I don't know how much 
we've seen that. I think it's harder to do in productivity. I think obviously HG did it and with their Mercury Fund and, and Inflection have done it in terms of they've they've got funds investing at different stages now. I think unless you're going to have a multi-fund model, it is quite difficult to have that, you know, one fund selling to another fund. And, you know, especially if it's a different LP base, you know, how, how do you negotiate the price there? I think it's slightly different for venture capital firms where they're able to do the seed investment and then the Series A through Z or wherever it gets to because they're typically not taking cash off the table. Therefore, it's less sensitive. It's often, you know, the same LP base doing that. So I think, you know, it may well happen. I think only the largest P firms that I've seen have really done it effectively. Most of them are still remaining concentrated in the UK, the UK based funds anyway, are still remaining concentrated on that kind of single fund, uh, single GP strategy. And similar question, Claire, but obviously not specifically for chasing a specific company, but just more generally, does having kind of stakes in these two kind of fires, so to speak, enhance deal, deal flow for both of them and exposure to opportunities or becoming aware of them at least? I guess just to give a bit of context on where our funds are, obviously one of them is sort of um, mid-market private equity and the other is earlier stage seed investing. So there's very little overlap in terms of sort of target deal flow and really for us I guess the historical difference between private equity and venture in some respects was that you know venture is more of a passive partner you probably have a minority stake whereas private equity firms are probably looking more for that majority piece so certainly we haven't seen it but I think the impact as I touched on before in terms of getting access to that network, accelerating businesses quicker, you know, that all comes through in the deals that we see and why people choose to partner with us as, as an investment firm. Um, but certainly we have seen some of the larger investment funds raise, I guess, specific feeder funds for their core businesses. Again, I think it's partly because that cross-fund investing has become more accepted in the market certainly historically it probably wouldn't have been um and equally it comes to that ability to spot fantastic deals and, and get in as soon as possible um but certainly for for us it they have very different dynamics in terms of businesses that follow more of a venture path versus those that hit sort of a PE metric so from a deal ideal basis we haven't necessarily seen any conflicts but certainly in terms of ability to access top management teams and top founders you know it comes into the portfolio as a whole whether that be from our venture fund or from our private fund fascinating quite nuanced there um and also you know obviously we've spoken about this convergence but largely on deal flow and kind of making investments and also um, strategies for value addition um could you kind of speak to it on the lp side of things and fundraising to what extent um claire this is probably one for you but what extent are lps that invested in pe increasingly allocating to vc and vice versa yeah so we've certainly seen a movement in this direction obviously because we're sector specialists and the lps that we have generally align with that consumer thesis i'd say perhaps it's seen more in the uh sort of specialist verticals um certainly there's been a general increase in interest in innovation and really appreciating that both private equity and the venture market provide exposure to this in, in different ways. 
Um, so I think that's certainly coming through. And we know we have seen a move towards an increased convergence from an LP base, certainly over the last um, sort of three or four years. So what do the next few years hold in terms of the dynamics between VC and PE? Will they continue to converge? What are the areas of difference and distinction between the two markets and strategies that are likely to stay the same? Um, Matt, we, we might start with you on that one. Sure. Um, I think the really interesting thing to watch in PE will be what, what their approach is to sectors. And I think with the amount of venture funding coming in and, and if valuations stay as high as they are at the moment, then will it almost kind of box out private equity in the mid-market from investing in areas like software or potentially consumer as well. Uh, and does that mean they retreat to more traditional sectors, um, you know, business services, manufacturing, kind of healthcare and education? Uh, and I think that'll be really interesting to watch if either they do do that, and I'm sure some will take that approach, or the funds have made their money on kind of software and, and tech-enabled services, whether they actually slightly change their strategy and start to compete more head-on with the venture funds. Uh, I think that'll be really interesting to see. I think on the venture side, you'll probably probably see a kind of continuing splitting of that market with the larger funds with kind of bigger profiles doing the bigger deals and the kind of the mega deals that we're seeing now in the market. And those who really aren't looking at those unicorn type investments moving to more of a growth capital approach, which is, you know, historically it's been pretty good from a returns perspective, um, probably is lower risk, more considered and has this kind of bit of a mix between VC and PE approach. Fascinating, same question, Claire, to finish us up. Um, what does the next few years hold for the dynamics between VC and PE convergence? Yeah, I think certainly I agree with Matt in terms of some of the specifics of um, market dynamics. You know, I think those businesses that have always been on the fringe of VC, I guess those that perhaps have lower growth profiles, you know, probably more mature. Yes, I certainly continue to see the convergence of that with PE, certainly as some of the PE, again, evaluate their strategic direction in terms of pockets of opportunity in the market. And one pocket I think that's been identified is that lower tier of stable, businesses that you know are still in growth but perhaps were below where they might have considered investing previously um but i do think that the venture space i guess aside from a fundamental macro rebasing of valuations which is also possible uh will continue to really strive ahead with the the strategy that a lot of the funds are adopting at the moment which is to support the high growth winners as much as possible, as early as possible, which means holding on to them for longer. You know, we've really seen the rise of the SPACs in the US and, and coming into Europe. And part of that is a function of those hold periods and, and target return profiles. So I do think there will continue to be some overlap, but I think if anything, the convergence will probably increase over the coming years as, as those strategies are really defined probably separately to, to where they have been previously. Fascinating stuff. Look, we're going to wrap it up right there. I want to thank our guests, Claire Cherry of True and Matthew Evans-Young from Foresight. Um, to catch the latest private capital market coverage, you can always log on to realdeals.eu.com. Uh, thanks for joining us for our podcast and thanks for our guests. Yes, thanks very much, Simon. Thanks for having us, Simon.